Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, we are going to continue our discussion with Jimmy Broach, President and CEO of Atlantic Building Components in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. On this episode, we are going to discuss his experience bringing a new trust plant online in today's environment and getting another generation involved in the family business. Jimmy, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, great to be back with you, Sean. Okay, so in the last episode, we talked about how you are continually updating your 20-year plan or your, your big dream and how that led you to expand sort of your three existing facilities relatively debt-free in sort of a systematic, well-thought-out way. But something was said at BCMC in 2019 that led you to start the process of building a fourth location, which you mentioned in the earlier podcast. Can you walk us through sort of what did you hear? What did you see at BCMC? And how did you start that process of like, okay, I, I think it's time to add a new facility? Yeah. So, I mean, having that big picture kind of dream in my head, you know, having it out there, whether it's 10 years away or five, um, you know, I never really tried to put times to everything necessarily. I'm really making sure that I feel like it's right, not rushing it. And, um, you know, you're always cautious when, you know, to open a new plant. It's a, it's a, it's a definitely an investment. I was already thinking about, I was weighing back and forth whether now is the time or are we at the peak and it's going to go down, you know, trying to weigh that out. And, you know, I really thought listening to the uh, economic forecast, you know, it kind of solidified. I'm always asking whether it's seat, the head guys of my tech, my plate supplier or, or builders, and I'm getting all these executives kind of points of view. And, and then it's funny, you'll talk to these people and you have pluses and minuses that, that go against you know, what the other ones say and when I meet with that person. And, and when I went to the, the economic forecast that, that year and, and it was just looking at some of the data, the, fact, the factual data that he threw up, and it really made me feel comfortable with, with my gut. It kind of confirmed what my gut was thinking. So uh, I think it's good. I feel comfortable. And a lot of things he said made, it, made me feel like it was, a, it was a good, safe risk, if that makes sense. So you come back from BCMC, you're like, okay, this is going to be a good, safe risk. What do you do from there? What what starts the process? So, I mean, really, we started pretty fast. I mean, you know, once I kind of um, naturally sat down with my, my, um, my partners and, and we all said, yeah, we're all on board with this and we're on board with a general location of kind of, you know, where we want to be just weighing out all the decisions Do we want to buy the property or lease the property. Uh, we've always owned all our property. That was the uh, approach that we started to go to. I, I immediately reached out to the attorneys that specialize in the incentive programs that are in the states and to help, especially manufacturers, you know, being that, that we're all manufacturers and SBCA, there's an amazing amount of incentive because, you know, the United States wants more manufacturing. You know, it's good business good employees. Um, so really just started to dive into those attorneys to get that kind of stuff working. Really, before we even found a site, we started purchasing all the equipment because of the lead times we're all dealing with. So I really started purchasing a lot of that equipment um, a year ago, probably 
this month, maybe eight months ago or so, uh, somewhere in that ballpark to start getting the major equipment lined up. From there, it's just kind of been, you know, hitting it full on, getting the uh, locations. Um, we, we had one location we thought we had nailed down and it kind of fell apart at the last minute, regroup, you know, just really the challenges come along with it. Well, you mentioned there's a lot of challenges. I mean, another big one there is sort of COVID going on, right? And, it, you know, it's effect on the material market. I mean, that was yeah, crazy. That was crazy. Uh, as you mentioned, the equipment, I mean, those lead times just seem to be getting longer and longer. Um, so as you pointed out, you sort of had to uh, think very far in advance on that. You, I imagine, are also sort of facing what most other manufacturers are facing, workforce shortages, people who, you know, got out of work during COVID and just aren't really interested in getting back into the pool. You know, as you're facing all of these things, again, you're incorporating this all into your plans. I mean, did any of these big sort of challenges that happened during COVID and as we're coming out of COVID ever change your mind as far as what you wanted to do with this new facility or, or how you wanted to go about doing it or, or when your goal was to start it? Any of those things? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's a difficult question. I mean, th- this, this past year has been extremely challenging from, uh, you know, I would say that to open a plant right now is definitely a challenge. I mean, the, the supply chain and just backlogs on equipment are just unbelievable. So um, it's definitely going to be a challenge. I don't think we never look back. I mean, once once I've kind of done all the analytics and, and I really believed in the numbers. And so I was definitely set on it. And I was just working through the process. It's just, it's definitely a lot harder than normal to to execute it. But being very detailed with our execution plan, which is, you know, part of my nature, um, having a clear week by week strategy goals, just doing that kind of helps helps me navigate through it. You know, Jimmy, you mentioned the numbers. And so that I think that's one of the things that's important to point out is that, you know, given what the market is like right now, you still have, I would imagine then a lot of builder customers and even potential builder customers who are looking for production capacity. They're looking for more trusses. So I have to I have to believe that one of those things that's driving you through all of these challenges is that, yeah, but once we have it up and running, everybody's going to want what we're putting out, right? Yeah, I mean, well, that's the hope. We all hope, uh, we all know this can't last forever, but, you know, I, I will share it, I, I guess, um, that one of the things that was interesting when we really started thinking about is this the time is, I am. there's a large portion really feels like everything that we're all feeling right now from a um, component um production capability standpoint, you know, supply in, in the country, where it's really feeling the effects of the recession years ago. I mean, we're really just now seeing how, you know, how traumatizing that was on on the industry. How much I capacity mean, there, we lost, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, the amount of capacity that was lost was just, you know, all over the country. I know in my markets, it's unbelievable. I mean, hundreds of millions I can count you know, when I'm rough figuring, you know, in my head and I start counting this guy and that guy, I'm like, wow. I mean, just in my little state of South Carolina, I mean, it's hundreds of millions of dollars uh, of production gone. So, you know, what that tells me when I'm doing this growth is if, if that recession hadn't have happened, does it feel like this today? Really? I mean, does it, is it really this bad? I don't think so. I mean, sure. Some of us all gotten bigger. I get it, but it just feels like those big events like that that happen take years and years to really feel the effects of them. 
And so, you know, I think some people are going to have to step up, do additions, and a lot of people are, and add new facilities to get us back to a sustainable number versus the um, housing starts. So your customers are feeling that that lack of capacity, obviously, you know, they're, they're oh, clamoring to yes. find somebody. But communities are also sort of feeling that lack of uh, employment, you know, that local manufacturing, that kind of thing that your that this industry and your company specifically sort of represent. Uh, you mentioned one of the the steps you started with was you know hiring these lawyers who help sort of get after uh, some of the government dollars that might be there to incentivize manufacturers mm-hmm. to expand. Can you talk a little bit more about sort of how that process went? You know, the initial reaching out to communities that you were considering for locating this facility. You know, how did those conversations go? What what kind of feedback did they give you? Let's start there. I, I guess you know without divulging exactly the location mm-hmm. yet, but. In a lot of these areas, um, at least I've found that I don't like my trust plants to be in big cities. It's really not a big city kind of business, I guess, if, if that's the right word for it. But you know, there's a lot of rural communities out there that want manufacturers like us. You know, We're actually a clean energy type company. We don't really pull a lot of energy to build trusses. You know, it's not this crazy water usage and, you know, all these, these limited resources. So we're an attractive industry and we hire a good many people in the, in our facilities. And we're able to hire people that may not be hireable by the Volvos of the world that to just put a plant near us or the Boeing that, that has facilities near us, you know, it's a different level. So we're able to reach in and the communities are, are excited. The, the governments of these smaller towns are like, you know, they're, they're all in. I mean, they want, what can we do to help you get here? Those are out there. And that's really the markets that are the, the communities that we really looked at so that they want us as bad as we want to be there. Yeah. So definitely from a economic development standpoint, from an employment standpoint, uh, from, as you said, a limited use of uh, resources standpoint, the communities are like, yes, please come. But that's not necessarily a perspective shared by every member of that community, right? So you, this is just interesting timing, but you had um, a community meeting last night. Talk to me a little bit about how that went and sort of what uh, you were facing going into that. Well, like I told you before we were on air here, um, you know, every time I think I've experienced everything, something new comes and and really, the larger we get, um, you know, this past year, we finished about 100 million. We have 300 some employees. And, and you know, you have to learn how to lead companies like this. And so, you know, we've been working uh, a land expansion for about 15 years with the Forestry Service at our plant here and our headquarters is backed up by Forest Land. And they don't sell land, but they trade. So if, if there's other pieces that they want that, that make the forestry better, then that's the only reason they do it, you know? Okay. and after 15 years, they had some they wanted. We wanted this, worked the whole deal. We want to expand. And, and then, you know, people, uh, you know, a few, it only takes a few. So you get a few people in a community that aren't happy about it. And they start the social media play, which, you know, I've never had anyone attacking me or us on, on social media, putting out false narratives you know, even saying that our business isn't family owned anymore. We're big corporate mm-hmm. that we're going to quadruple our size and clear cut, you know, 50 acres and, you know, blah, 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 you know, and, and, 
And then the news stations, you know, we were, I think me and you were supposed to have our, our airing and I was like, ah, I, I think I got to put it off. You know I mean? This is, I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this. And, and then the news channels come out here and, and then we get to the uh, zoning meeting that night and yes, the, you know, the people had called the news station. So it was just a, uh, definitely a unique challenge when you have two or three people because they have jobs, don't, don't really know what it's like to be you know, a blue collar worker in the United States that may not have a, a perfect track record and, and needs these jobs, you know, can't afford to drive into the city. So just interesting, uh, interesting times. Yeah. You know, another aspect of this business that I, I want to sort of end with is, again, you, you bring up the claim of like, you guys aren't a family business, but you absolutely are a family owned business. And absolutely, you know, you're looking to bring, you're a second generation, you're looking to bring the next generation in. Talk to me a little bit about what that means to you and how you're approaching that to make sure that you know you're successful and that that's going to fit in with the overall goals and with both the company and your employees, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I mean, even with me, my dad brought me up. I, I was an only child, but I was very much. Um, we talked business every night at dinner when I was eight years old, ten years old. We worked about deals and, and we talked about deals and all the dramas. And I mean, it was almost like I was nurtured to be a part of this family business from a young age. And, and he was very intentional my whole life, very intentional with me. When my dad and partner started this business as two just hardworking guys with not a lot to their name, they, they, they both, um, from the story they tell me, you know, they sat together and said, we have one goal here and it's to create a generational business. That was their goal. Their goal wasn't to be rich. It was at that time in their life. It was about, we want to create a generational business that can be passed down to generations. And so I take that on as it's my job now to, to see that through to the next generations, which as everyone knows, a third generation is the hardest, you know, the percentages are against you once you get to the third generation. So, you know, I've tried to be just as intentional with my son, um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't sure what kind of interest he would have. I never really pushed it too hard. I just tried to talk business with him, try to let him experience it. But we also set out those expectations at a very young age so that there was no hard feelings. But, you know, in our company, we, we have some strict guidelines, especially the bigger we get, it's very important. And the one is, you know, he has to go to college, graduate in something different than I did or, or that my dad did. So I, he has to come with a different kind of experience, but he also has to work for a, an outside company that I do not know. I can't know them at all. He has to find a job, work it and, and be successful for four years before he's allowed to come back. Mm. And if he can't do that, then it's off the table and I don't feel guilty. I've been very, very upfront and I, I'm not budging to try to protect how hard it is for a third generation. You have to have that, that experience that one day when you're sitting here saying, do I have all this just because my dad gave it to me or do I believe in myself? And when you work for someone else and you're successful, you get that, okay, I can do this. And that's what he will need. Just like I needed it a lot of times to say that I could have done this and I've earned some of this. So I think it's important. Well, hopefully some years from now, I'll have your son on the podcast and he can be talking about how it all worked out. Yeah, I think I started my first PCMC was, I think I was eight years old. And um, yeah, we still, I think the other day we found a uh, picture of me. We had bought a saw, you know, how people buy saws at the shows yeah. and it'll, the sign will be future saw of so-and-so. And 
and you know, I think I'm eight or 10 years old with a picture of me and my dad and partner in front of this saw, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I mean, people don't realize I've been coming since that long. And, and, you know, my son, I've taken him to business means I took him to one negotiating means. So yeah, I think it's, it's a cool thing. I mean, family businesses are super cool. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love it. I enjoy getting them to work every day and being a part of our family business. And, um, you kind of take pride in it. Well, Jimmy, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Certainly. I'm glad that you reached out. I enjoyed it. And um, hopefully we can maybe do it again one day. Absolutely. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also consider subscribing to SBCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.